Many organizations struggle when it comes to communicating and realizing their business strategies. Many workers don't even understand the strategies in their own company. Welcome to the North Star with William Ulrich. Find out where your organization stands, what you might be doing right, and where you can improve. Now, here's your host, William Ulrich. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, William Ulrich. You're listening to the North Star. Feel free to contact me by email, LinkedIn, or my website. Our topic today of our first show is charting a path to your organization's North Star via strategy execution. First, I want to tell you a little bit about the show. The show's title is taken from predictors of an organization's long-term success. The North Star represents an organization's unwavering commitment or definition to purpose, customer engagement, product direction, and strategy. So I'll be taking a look at different ways in which organizations can achieve their strategic vision in order to reach their North Star. Today, I'll be providing you an overview of the journey we'll be taking together to explore ways in which organizations can become more effective at what they do. Over the course of various episodes, I hope to weave various topics together to help your organization chart its path towards its North Star. Uh, the essence of the show is about organizations, why they succeed, why they fail, and why and how the vast majority in the middle can do better. I'm not limiting the discussion to any one type of organization. Topics I plan to cover will include or apply to organizations that are large and small, government agencies, corporations, intergovernmental agencies like the UN, non-governmental organizations or NGOs, and nonprofits. Every organization has a purpose or mission. It wants to achieve, it's my hope, that the discussions we'll be having over the course of various shows will help your organization move closer to achieving its strategic vision. So let me share some of my background to help frame the topics I plan to cover today and in future episodes. I began my career working with large mainframe computers in the latter part of the 1970s. I've engaged in many sides of business and technology over the decades, from planning through execution. As an active participant and later in various oversight roles, I've been in the consulting field for more than 40 years, spending most of the 1980s at KPMG before going out on my own. I've worked in a variety of private sector industries and government agencies across multiple continents, serving as mentor, author, consultant, workshop leader, trainer, and even as an expert witness. The last point's relevant because when one considers the potential legal repercussions of major business investments, it tends to shine a light on what may seem like minor off-the-cuff decisions that can send a major investment into financial, political, and even legal tailspins. Over two decades ago, I found that to make a sustainable and positive impact in my transformation work with organizations, I had to shift my thinking to a business-first, customer-first perspective. When I say customer, I'm referring to the people and institutions that obtain and benefit from your organization's products and services. Customers, constituents, members, and patients, depending on your business model, are the ones that at the end of the day keep you in business and allow your organization to thrive. The shift in my perspective from driving transformation from a technology perspective to driving it from a business perspective was the result of seeing major transformation efforts fail repeatedly at great financial cost, wasted resources, lost market share, and reputational loss. My experiences over the decades have led me to rethink the essence of organizations. As a result, uh, this show will explore the many aspects of organizations and how the many elements involved come together to form a cohesive shared business ecosystem. And you'll hear that word a lot over the course of shows in which all the parts work in a highly synchronized fashion. If these organizational elements are not in sync, then those organizations like old vehicles will fail and fall short of their destination. 
That destination in this case is framed by an organization's strategic goals and objectives. So what do I mean when I'm referring to or uh, rethinking the essence of organizations? It essentially means that we're envisioning an organization holistically as an integrated functioning entity. There's lots of management gurus out there that have published on this. They use the analogy of an organization functioning as an integrated system or as a biological system. John Klippinger discussed this in his book, Biology of Business, or as Ken Baskin discussed in his book on corporate DNA. Rethinking the essence of organizations to advance successful strategy execution requires looking past the many business units or silos that tend to fragment organizations into splintered parts, where the most well-conceived strategies end up being pursued piecemeal and delivering far less than the business leaders envisioned or the organization needs. On the other hand, when strategy execution is pursued from a holistic perspective, it's more likely to deliver viable, effective solutions. We'll come back to this theme of fragmented strategy execution a little bit later in this episode. Uh, to some of the listeners out there, the experiences I'll be sharing may come as a complete surprise, but none of what I will be discussing with my guests uh, would be considered a secret. More often than not, many of the issues and challenges I'll raise are hidden in plain sight or sometimes, unfortunately, swept under the rug. On the other hand, if you, like many business professionals that attend my workshops or that I mentor, uh, you may just nod your head and say, of course, this is the way that things are. They've always been this way. They always will be. I should note that many rank and file workers have little hope that their organization can reposition its thinking to pursue its goals and objectives in a well-coordinated, highly streamlined way. For example, one idea we'll explore is the importance of enabling innovation, where ideas can surface and evolve and flourish. Like most transformation uh, or transformative change, innovative advancements require listening to the people on the ground who can tell you that the ideas have a high likelihood of failing or succeeding, or even if something's a good or bad idea. As I will be discussing with one of my guests, real innovation can start in the most unexpected places and good ideas emerge from individuals who understand your business the most, the workers on the front lines. Yet silos in our organizations not only cut vertically, where, for example, one operational team doesn't coordinate with another, but also horizontally, where good ideas can never bubble to the surface, resulting in decisions being made in a vacuum. So, for example, many of us in business have experienced top-down decisions that undercut the very workforce that should ideally be the main source of innovation. How many listeners have been involved in corporate downsizing, where cost-cutting was the driving motivation behind the decisions made and actions taken? And how many listeners have watched as those individuals with the most desirable skills and institutional knowledge were the ones either asked to leave or they took those early retirement packages. One senior business leader that uh, took an early retirement told, told me that her boss was shocked that she took the package. It's odd that executives would assume that the people they want to stay actually leave and people they want to leave would actually stay. A former colleague calls this the blinding flash of the obvious. So fostering innovation means engaging and listening to frontline workers. My first guest uh, next week, Vivek Wadwa, uh, will be discussing innovation. As he wrote in his recent book, From Incremental to Exponential, it was an Amazon engineer who dropped the idea in the employee suggestion box to offer free shipping to customers who paid an annual fee. The idea launched Amazon Prime, which succeeded 100 million users in 2018, contributing an annual company revenue of $10 billion through annual Prime subscriptions alone. Seems like good ideas can come from any quarter of the enterprise. Over the decades, I've noticed trends and patterns in organizations that derail how business leaders chart their course and make progress towards their North Star. 
I plan to share what has worked in my experience and also what has derailed the ability of organizations to successfully execute strategy. One turning point in my thinking came in the 1990s when I had an opportunity to spend time working with DHOC, which led to my reconsidering the nature of organizations. Uh, DHOC is the founder and former CEO of Visa, the credit card company most people have heard of, that he designed as a decentralized organization. Dee's post-Visa work on chaotic thinking opened my eyes to the fact that how, many organi how organizations are structured, communicate, and transform themselves can take many forms and impact their success or failure. Chaotic is Dee's term for bringing order to chaos. As an aside, the Business Architecture Guild, a not-for-profit association I co-founded in 2010, is based on DHOC's chaotic organizing model. Uh, before going any further, I want to dedicate today's show to Dee and hope he's listening in. I posted Dee's book, One from Many, Visa and the Rise of the Chaotic Organization, um, in my show postings, which are on my website. I'll tell you a little bit more about that before we close today. So while diverse in nature, well, this show is not specifically tech about technology. I'll be discussing technology, and you'll probably hear a good bit about it, and how it can drag an organization down or lift, up, lift it up to heighten success. Uh, one lesson I've learned during my career is that the lack of viable technology is not typically the main issue stifling an organization's success. The so more often than not, it's entrenched cultures coupled with or reinforced by the imaginary walls that isolate business units into opaque silos. Another really important quest lesson I learned is that technology is not the solution to every business problem. No technology can make up for ineffective management, stifling culture, and the lack of cross ecosystem transparency commonly found in many organizations. So while diverse in nature of their work, customer constituent base and what they do and what they deliver, most organizations have one thing in common, they struggle when it comes to executing strategy. The causes can be many, but we'll take a look at common anti-patterns that arise that can stall or undercut even well-defined strategies. But before we look at where things go wrong, let's take a look at where they can and should go right. To do this, we'll start at the beginning of strategy definition. There's lots of approaches to defining strategy, and while one of them is, might be more preferred than the other, uh, they all have merits and they are all better than nothing. Uh, most strategy definition techniques share the focus of defining goals and objectives, specifying courses of action or what you should do to accomplish that goal, assigning measurement criteria to help determine if objectives are achieved. The practice of associating measurement with business objectives is dictated by the fact that most strategy definition methods state that objectives should be specific, measurable, achievable, realistic, time-bound, and hence the term smart objectives. So consider, for example, a couple of different techniques. Uh, there's commonalities uh, between Norton Kaplan's strategy map and that are shared with the objectives and key results or OKR approach. Most, most both methods basically um, measure objectives, seek to identify courses of action to achieve those objectives and measure results. Norton Kaplan tracks key performance indicators or KPIs, OKR, incorporates those measurements into their results. I'm not espousing either of these approaches or any other method, but if you wanna successfully execute strategy, then you actually have to articulate and communicate that strategy and be able to objectively recognize if the strategy succeeded or failed. A fact that may surprise many people is that many organizations do not have well-defined business strategies with clear outcomes. But it should be no surprise that the lack of a well-defined strategy is pretty much an indicator 
the strategy execution will fall short. And it's for this reason that everyone engaged in end-to-end -end strategy execution should be free to question vague, immeasurable objectives that provide no basis for determining if that objective is achieved. For example, if business leaders hand down a business objective that says, update the ERP or enterprise resource planning system, this may be a course of action, but it's not a business objective. Uh, these types of dictates view the business through a narrow technology lens versus a holistic customer financial and value-driven lens. Some business leaders frown on the idea of questioning their strategies, especially when, it, when those questions come from individuals not in the leadership. But there are techniques for addressing the situations. So let's take an, a scenario where a manufacturing company executives handed down an, a mandate to upgrade the ERP system. The recipients of this directive, mostly director-led, questioned the directive because there was no business case. So they applied formal strategy mapping techniques to reverse engineer a set of business objectives from the mandate. The team started with the executive request and coupled it with what they perceived as objectives loosely linked to the ERP upgrade. The team derived a set of financial, customer, operational, governance, human resource, and technical objectives to bring a more holistic approach to the table. For example, one operational objective was to optimize material levels so that uh, no more than a certain level is in stock at any given point in time. This operational objective supported the financial objective of improving asset utilization to reduce costs by a fixed amount over quarterly periods. It seems like that should be part of every business. This team then approached management and said they were seeking greater clarity on senior leadership's request. Hat in hand, they asked, do these objectives look reasonable? This humble approach to gaining clarity enables knowledgeable business professionals to refine objectives uh, while reducing the risk of irritating your leaders. But there is one additional benefit of taking this approach to strategy clarification. These objectives might be accomplished in other ways. For example, in this one business case, uh, the analysis might determine, or in fact, it did determine that the ERP system is not the real workhorse leaders thought it was, and that the objectives outlined by the directors could be addressed through other means, potentially saving the organization tens of millions of dollars while shortening the return on investment or ROI timeframe. So let's talk about the history of ineffectiveness surrounding strategy execution. The struggles organizations face when it comes to delivering critical business strategies is not conjecture or opinion. A number of industry studies and surveys demonstrate that a majority of organizations struggle to achieve their strategic goals and objectives, which means they are falling, uh, failing to chart their path and make progress towards their North Star. The statistics I'm about to share are widely available, but that does not mean that these stats are shifting in a positive direction or even discussed in polite company. So consider that according to the strategy implementation survey, only 2% of leaders are confident they will achieve 80 to 100% of their strategic objectives. And those same leaders believe that only 5% of employees have a basic understanding of the company's strategy. In other words, the people that run the organizations don't think that they can achieve what they want to achieve and that most people have no clue about what they want to do anyway. I noted earlier that a lack of transparency was a key issue, but it gets more interesting. According to PwC's strategy that works, nine out of 10 business leaders concede they are missing major market opportunities. This is not a statistic any business leader wants to be associated with, but let's look a little deeper. So according to Stanish Group's 25 years of software projects, successful initiatives are delivered less than 70% of the time. Yeah, less than 70%. 
the unsuccessful initiatives either fail outright or underdeliver or late or over budget. I was first introduced to Standish Group's chaos report in the mid-1990s and pleased that they have kept running stats on projects over the, over the decades. Their reporting tells a simple story. Over the past 25 years, organizations have only incrementally improved upon their ability to successfully deliver projects that meet their goals and objectives. So what's wrong? Let's start with what's, what happens when business leaders identify something they want to do. Historically, organizations have rushed from saying they have a problem to jumping to conclusions on a solution and immediately funding it with little clarity or agreement on the objectives, the root cause of the issues, and overall scope of the solution. If you're in information technology field or work on major programs at large or small companies, none of this is news to you. Let's take a look at an analogy that highlights the lost art of root cause analysis. Let's say I have a pain in my side, I race into my doctor, and I demand that he or she remove my gallbladder right then and there. I toss my money on the table, lay down, and demand action. The doctor, of course, would back me down, ask questions to begin a diagnosis, do a physical exam, request some tests, narrow the scope of the root cause, maybe engage some specialists, and recommend possible courses of action, which may involve medication, therapy, or even removal of the aforementioned organ. Fortunately, doctors have a code of ethics. A ludicrous example, you say, well, this same scenario plays out at major organizations every day around the globe. How do I know this? I've been working with these organizations for decades, most but not all in the corporate sector. I have seen these situations firsthand. I also gained feedback from workshop attendees who reinforced the fact that these kinds of stories are not unusual or exceptional. Where organizations jump directly into execution with no clarity of scope impacts or outcomes, human nature demands instant gratification. Business leaders want something done and move directly to taking action, often dictating solutions right down to the technology to be used. And more often than not, there's no assessment, no root cause analysis, little if proactive or any proactive scoping and little insight into the actual business objectives to be achieved. You're listening to The North Star, I'm William Ulrich, and we're going to be back right after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. Business news and discussions are always changing. In order to stay ahead of the game, sometimes you need to be a follower. You can follow the Voice America Business Channel on Twitter at VoiceAMBusiness. Again, that's at VoiceAMBusiness. And stay current. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. 
comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Join Patricia Raskin, the host of Positive Living on VoiceAmerica.com, Monday, 11 Pacific. This program brings you practical and inspiring principles for living a more authentic, engaging, and passionate life. Patricia's guests will give you a formula for connecting, giving, forgiving, and miraculous living. So tune in and call to Positive Living, Mondays at 11 Pacific Time, right here on VoiceAmerica.com. Now there's a new destination for video content, VoiceAmerica.tv, just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming, including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events, and short features. High-definition, premier-quality programs available 24-7, VoiceAmerica.tv. If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise you. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. That's WMMulrich at TSGConsultingInc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing charting a path to your organization's North Star via strategy execution. I want to discuss discussing the lost art of root cause analysis. So consider this uh, medical story I was telling before a break. Uh, the next time you hear a business executive say, our strategy is to move to the cloud or dump our mainframes. Well, either or both of these courses of action can be part of a larger set of goals and objectives. Neither course of action is a business strategy. As standalone goals, they invariably uh, translate into expensive, risk-prone, time-consuming, and complex ventures that can actually stymie or forestall real business objectives, like entering new markets, improving asset performance, or increasing customer satisfaction. Initiatives that lack clear business objectives and tangible outcomes are prone to failure that may land you right back to where you started, only $50 to $100 million poorer. The pattern of gaps that exist in unsuccessful strategy execution efforts are twofold. One being holistic impact analysis and the other being holistic business design. When business leaders skip business impact analysis or limit it to one or two business unit silos, it leads to piecemeal solutions that don't work. Impact analysis is often discovered haphazardly over water cooler conversations. Imagine, for example, the two analysts who know each other socially find out in a casual discussion that work is underway in one or the other's area, but beyond the line of sight of either. Sometimes the workers will escalate the issue, but sometimes management tells them they don't understand the big picture or they're swinging above their pay grade. Just as often as not, these workers go back to their jobs knowing the solution won't work. It's just not worth being browbeaten by management for raising concerns. In other words, it's safer in many corporate cultures to keep your head down and let the effort fail. Consider this seemingly absurd situation. I once consulted to a bank that built a system that was targeted to replace two other systems. The problem was, however, that no, no one ever discussed how the new system would be implemented. So business leaders brought on a second team bolstered by systems integrators and consultants to figure out how to, how some, to deploy this new system. When, asked how, when I asked how upstream and downstream data would be consolidated and synchronized to make all this work, they looked surprised and told me I was the first person to ask that question. Now, that system, which supposedly cost millions of dollars to build, was never deployed. 
This is only one example of what happens when holistic impact analysis and design is skipped and execution teams jump straight to a solution. As incredible as this saga may seem, stories like this abound. By the way, it's usually at this point that in discussion that someone says, you're talking about boiling the ocean, meaning we are trying to look at too much information at once. My response is that we aren't boiling the ocean. We're only trying to figure out which ocean we need to look at to narrow the focus down to pri prior to moving forward. So you'd think that jumping from pain to action with no diagnosis would be enough to account for industry's poor track record on strategy execution and projects. But there's another factor at play, business unit silos. Organizations are typically broken down into visions, departments, business units of varying types. No surprise in and of itself, there's no harm in this. Rather, it's the lack of transparency and inability to communicate across these silos when it comes to strategy execution that's the underlying issue. The roadblocks to strategy ex execution often lie in decentralized decision-making and fragmented execution. Let's explore some ways uh, and impacts, um, aspects and impacts of business unit silos. One major factor is the existence of political and cultural fiefdoms that wield budgetary power that allows them to make unilateral decisions that are out of step with holistic solutions that benefit the organization as a whole. These siloed solutions may address an immediate localized need, but can result in destabilizing other business areas that weren't involved, consulted, or otherwise engaged. When one examines an overall portfolio of initiatives, the first thing you'll notice is that business leaders across different business units frequently establish multiple conflicting, overlapping, and poorly coordinated projects, each of which run in parallel with little or no transparency. Executing projects across business unit silos with little or no transparency is a quick path to failure. Silos extend to the concept called interdisciplinary coordination. So what does this mean? Well, larger organizations have many specialty skills consolidated into different business units. One business unit may be working on improving customer experience while the other business units working on business analysis. Now consider the global manufacturing company where the business analysis team had no idea there even was a customer experience team. The very team that was responsible for identifying business needs for customers. Organizations spend a lot of money and are surprised when deployed solutions, assuming they get that far, don't work together or make life more miserable for customers and stakeholders. Consider the portfolio executive who feels more than 300 project proposals annually from various directors and is forced to make arbitrary cuts to two-thirds of those proposals. Even when a well-conceived, centrally coordinated strategy is handed down to teams chartered with performing root cause analysis and formal scoping, execution is usually split across the these same siloed business units, and the pattern of failure repeats itself. Dozens of projects often end up delivering multiple solutions that simply don't work as intended. We have a technical term for that called a lack of interoperability, but frankly, it's a real mess. Now, private and, sector, private and public sector organizations have made attempts to address some of these statistical challenges I've outlined. For example, agile methodologies seek to deliver results incrementally in an attempt to alleviate at least some of the strategy executions or issues I raised thus far. And Agile is a good addition to any toolkit. Most of the decisions made and actions taken that doom these initiatives are set in stone well before analysts pick up their pens and developers fire up their computers. I've spoken to more than a few Agile deployment teams about this situation. I can best liken it to a scenario where automotive engineers design and spec a new car model that's riddled with flaws and features nobody wants, but somehow expect the assembly line workers to magically resolve these issues during the vehicle's production run. 
In other words, where an actionable strategy is flawed and impact analysis and holistic solution designers sidestep, the best execution team is likely doomed to failure or will certainly fall short of what business leaders envision and, and the organization needs. The lesson here is stark. The success or failure of the majority of business initiatives is oftentimes determined well before solution delivery teams are engaged, project teams are formed, and budgets are even allocated. I can hear the skeptics saying companies wouldn't be in business if it were this bad. The fact is that at least some organizations are in business in spite of the situation being this bad. Either way, every organization can do better, improve customer service, more effectively achieve its mission, deliver value at less cost, and maximize revenue outcomes. And nonprofits and government agencies can always deliver services more effectively and more efficiently, providing better value to those they serve. So let me share a few stories here that highlight some real-world situations. Uh, one thing I want to start with is customer discontinuity, which is when an organization has multiple redundant, disconnected views of the same customer. It's all too common. For example, you may view a company where you have multiple insurance policies and financial accounts as a single company, a single entity. But that same company may view you as multiple unique customers. The problem rises to the surface in a number of unpredictable ways. For example, one part of the company may treat you well, but another part of the company treats you poorly. Or there may be customer-related issues that requires res resolution, but it's only recognized in one area. And the issue cuts both ways. One business unit at a financial institution turned down a customer for a loan because they were a bad credit risk. But another business unit in that same company was more than willing to give that same customer a loan. So let's look at an example that highlights contrasting approaches to addressing customer discontinuity. In this real story, executives funded multiple scattershot solutions without having performed any root cause analysis at all, to the tune of tens of millions of dollars. Only after these attempts failed to address the problem did those executives take a step back to pursue a more systemic approach. The example involved a large financial and uh, customers, financial and insurance company that lost track of customer every time they moved. The series of major investments in new software systems ran into the tens of millions, but didn't stem the tide. After watching the situation from the sidelines, the company's business architecture team volunteered to investigate the matter. By viewing the issue through a holistic lens of business architecture, the team was able to determine the root cause of the issue. When a customer sent in a change of address, the siloed nature of the organization meant that customer information was only updated in one area. The business architecture team proposed an interim solution that neutralized the problem. It was implemented in a few months at a fraction of the cost of the bigger projects. But even more important is the fact that based on formal root cause analysis, the same team designed and proposed an executive-driven strategic effort to align the company's business model around customer versus around products and product lines. The moral of this story is simple. Jumping from having a problem directly into implementing a solution to quote unquote save time is more often not than not fraught with risk, costs more, takes longer, or is doomed to fail. I encourage business leaders to take a step back, diagnose the root cause of an issue, formulate clear objectives to address it, determine scope to formal impact analysis, and design a solution that has a high probability of success. Those of us working in the field of business architecture and business transformation call this slowing down to speed up. Um, since I mentioned business architecture, let me just give you a, uh, a, a quick point in its role on strategy execution. Uh, you may have heard of it, but don't fully understand it or think it's something technical. Uh, the premise is fairly simple. It's a way to view an organization through a holistic lens that can be used by planning teams, designers, customer experience teams, business analysts, program managers, and yes, even technical teams. Think of business architecture like Google Maps for your business ecosystem. 
Planning teams can zoom out to a global view or global perspective. Impact analysis and design teams can zoom in on a given area. And business analysts and technical teams can zoom in for even greater detail. Um, I'll be covering business architecture in future episodes, taking a look at how organizations use it in practice. Now let's take a look at another real world example of what happens when business objectives lack clarity, but an organization moves forward with a major initiative and investment anyway. Again, true story, in this, in this example, a large global financial institution canceled a $150 million project with nothing to show for it. Yes, I said nothing. According to the post-mortem post audit, the project had no discernible business objectives, yet it was initiated and funded anyway. The particular company has a huge technology budget, but $150 million is still a lot of, lot of money, and uh, leaders should never find it acceptable to make these kinds of investments when there's no clearly defined business objective. The initiative was doomed to fail for a, a number of reasons, um, at least to anyone who looked at the situation objectively. Another example of failed strategy execution involves a courtroom drama led to the European insurance company being ordered to pay out 40 million euro to a contractor because the initiative was sabotaged by company executives who appeared to be engaged in political infighting. The sponsors uh, of the effort had a technical target in mind, but again, no clear business objective. There was no driving business factor behind this. One lesson out of this courtroom case was that there's a lot of ways to ensure that an initiative fails and that any broken link in the chain between strategy setting and solution deployment can derail initiatives large and small. Uh, these stories citing failed initiatives and misplaced investments may sound like anecdotal one-off situations. They're just, you know, one in a million. But that's not the case. The Spanish group Chaos Report found that information technology or IT organizations wasted 44% or $160 billion in allocated business funding in one year. This study is a little older, but I personally doubt it's a whole lot better today. Failed projects are by no means the only challenge facing organizations. Let's take a look at a few examples. A financial services firm, which was running on decades-old technology, was struggling to concurrently roll out a series of of new investment funds and, and expand into new markets. A report to the board indicated it was due to the uh, company's aging complex computer systems. Over time, the situation devolved to the point where the only way the organization could function was to deploy more than 25,000 spreadsheets that had no centralized point of authority or governance, creating thousands of undocumented points of failure. The business executive who felt forced to deploy these spreadsheets because their computer systems would not work without them we're concerned that the firm's ability to compete was rapidly degrading. A study of the situation produced a report out that outlined the risks of running an organization on what was essentially thousands of unaudited points of failure. Technology executives' response to the report was stunning. They said that the business created this mess and it's their job to fix it. I'm pretty sure their customers and investors would not be thrilled if they knew this situation existed. The situation I just outlined is unfortunately not unique. A global manufacturing company was looking at an ERP system upgrade that would cost them tens of millions of dollars. The system, in theory, was supposed to be managing everything from inventory levels to financials. But when asked if there was a business case for this investment, the answer was no. They just planned to do it because the vendor recommended it. A preliminary round of discussion found that much of the functionality this system was supposed to provide was not even being used. At one point, one business leader stunned everyone in the room by saying if the ERP system failed, it was merely an inconvenience. But if their spreadsheets failed, the company's production lines would come to a halt. Another example of major points of undocumented failure. Make no mistake, these are not technology problems. These are real business risks that business people need to be thinking about. 
These issues are now limited to private or public sector. A government agency I worked with actually had hardware systems that were so old, they had to go on eBay to find the parts. Few executives are aware or concerned about the degree of fragility in today's technology environments and the risks they pose in terms of continuity. Internal and and external audits reviews seem to miss these things all the time. So what's clear is that there's a disconnect between uh, strategic planning and related investments. Now, let's assume you have defined a set of smart objectives that you need to ensure that you have cleared the strategy, that you've cleared the strategy execution path of any quote unquote debris that could derail well-intended initiatives and investments. The debris can include what I call fads and shiny objects. So don't confuse fads with trends. Trends signal maturation and growth, right? So for example, moving away from procedural programming to object-based programming was a trend of maturity. But fads and shiny objects, on the other hand, can be more destabilizing. In 1984, an industry pundit, pretty famous, said that the fourth generation languages would make programmers obsolete by the end of the 1980s and business professionals would do all the programming using natural languages. Almost 40 years later, this prediction has yet to come true. In the meantime, the number of programmers and volume of software continue to grow. Later in the same decade, a new shiny object came along called computer-aided software engineering or CASE, and with it, similar promises. Promoters said people could ditch their old computer systems, build everything with these new magic tools. So we didn't have to look far uh, into the past for these fads. the call to rid computers of uh, companies of their mainframe computers grew because they were deemed too expensive. Um, more than a few organizations have spent hundreds of millions of dollars on these cost-saving migrations. The ROI does not always add up when you look at it, though. Um, another approach is moving to the cloud, which is to accomplish much of, this, of the same. In its simplest form, by the way, cloud computing is the idea that organizations can achieve its automation requirements by running and using software on someone else's network, saving money on in-house technology, reduced uh, staff management and management of the old legacy systems. I'm aware of multiple large organizations pursuing cloud computing on a staggering scale right now, but make no mistake, there are advantages in cloud computing, but people tend to overreact and cloud's no exception. When a useful notion turns into the holy grail is the point when all reason is abandoned and strategy execution takes another hit. You're listening to The North Star. I'm William Ulrich, and we're going to be back right after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Your organization is spending seven, eight, or even nine figures annually on transformation programs. And you're questioning the bottom line business value. You were told not to worry. We've engaged the best system integrators and they said all is well. Has your IT organization become a black box where money goes in, but nothing comes out? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich has seen every side of this story, from upfront happy talk to painful post-mortems. Find out what's really going on. Visit tacticalstrategygroup.com and ask about TSG's Transformation Oversight Service. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Are you having trouble articulating your strategic objectives? 
Not sure if your program investments are aligned to your strategic vision? Wondering why your six, seven, and eight-figure program investments seem to evaporate into thin air, even as your business teams are left to add more people, take on more risk, and take heat from unhappy customers? Tactical Strategy Group's William Ulrich can help ensure that your strategic objectives translate into sustainable, successful investments. For more information, visit our website at tacticalstrategygroup.com. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to the North Star. If you have a question or comment about the program, please send an email to wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. That's wmmulrich at tsgconsultinginc.com. Now, back to the North Star. Here again is William Ulrich. Welcome back to the North Star. I'm William Ulrich. We're discussing charting a path to your organization's North Star via strategy execution. Since I mentioned mainframe computers before the break, let me break up a couple of myths here uh, for you. Consider that mainframe computers handle 68% of global computing workloads at 6% of the total cost. Those same mainframes handle 90% of daily credit card transactions, are still used by 44 of the top 50 global banks and all 10 of the top global insurance companies. They're resilient, being able to withstand an earthquake measuring up to eight on the Richter scale. And one more point, they're not going away. Mainframe revenues at IBM increased year over year, 62% with IBM's latest mainframe release in 2019. So just before you uh, decide that, think that everybody's getting rid of them, they're still here. Business leaders should bear in mind that in many cases, these uh, massive technology investments they're making are being made as critical business demands are even being deferred or ignored. And when you ignore critical business demands while you're doing these gigantic projects, um, business professionals will seek alternative options that include hiring more people, building more desk high-risk desktop solutions and going to alternative technology providers, all of which can introduce multiple types of debt that will make it even harder to effectively execute strategy long-term. To be clear, fads and shiny objects may represent viable options, but when they are viewed as panaceas that will fix everything that's wrong with your organization, they're likely to create more problems than they solve. Um, what everyone is doing is not always right or useful. Aside from poorly articulated objectives, leaping before looking, splintered strategy execution, and the tendency to chase shiny objects, another major obstacle blocking the path to your North Star is the uncanny momentum that can turn bad decisions into runaway projects. They take a life of their own. Near the end of 2010, I worked with an insurance company that was intent on migrating its entire software portfolio to a new environment. The main driver being technical with significant budget and had little clarity of the business objectives or ROI. What are certainly viable approach, what, there are certainly viable approaches for executing these types of migrations, but based on the approach selected, it was apparent to the trained observer uh, that the entire effort was likely to fail. The original estimate of three years turned into seven, last I checked. A few years into the project, I learned that the CIO and CEO had both retired, um, and it had already run twice its course. This classic example is a runaway project where even C-suite executives and the board of directors did not know how to stop it. It's human, nature's, uh, it's human nature to dig one's heels in on bad decisions where throwing more money and more people at a problem seems to be an all-too-common reaction that compound bad decisions. And sure, organizations make bad decisions, but bad decisions can be mitigated through good planning, ongoing introspection, end-to-end visibility, and due course corrections. 
So speaking of course corrections, one would argue that new agile methods would prevent runaway projects, but an organization could just as easily pursue bad decisions through a series of incremental steps as it can in large chunks. Agile thinking, while good, can also undercut formal strategy execution. For example, a business executive once said to me that now that Agile is in place, there's no longer a need for us to craft formal strategies. I challenge him with an analogy. Let's say I'm taking a cross-continent trip, beginning my journey in Berlin and planning to end my journey in Rome. I establish a formal objective to get to Rome and a set time frame and chart my path. Now, I can take an Agile approach to getting there, making small increments along the way and adjusting for weather and road conditions, but always keeping my eye on the final objective of getting to Rome. If I pursued the objectives approach, I would forego the roadmap, just get in my vehicle and start driving. The problem is I might end up in Athens. Why? Because I never established a clear measurable objective to get to Rome in a fixed time frame. This is a, probably an extreme example that this executive is not the first, nor will he be the last to misrepresent the role of agile and strategy execution uh, for going common sense along the way. So let me tell you some new insights on a road less traveled. Over the course of future episodes, I'm going to take you on a journey that spans the gamut from innovation to realization. One idea we'll explore together is the importance of creating an environment where ideas can flourish, evolve, and, and, and surface. Innovative advancements require listening to people who can tell you that ideas have a high likelihood of failing or succeeding, or even if something's a good or bad idea. I mentioned earlier that real innovation can start in the most unexpected places, and good ideas emerge from individuals who understand your business the most and workers on the front lines. One of my colleagues had a unique approach to dealing with companies where innovation was stifled from the top. He rolled out a program where executives employee sourced input from where the company was doing stupid things. Many suggestions came in and cost savings delivered through bottom-up driven behavioral uh, changes were striking. Uh, so navigating towards uh, your organization's North Star requires orchestrating a variety of diverse disciplines um, and certainly we understand today there's a lot of them out there. And my guests and I will be exploring many of these disciplines in future episodes, putting them all together into a cohesive way of thinking. The guests will include a series of experts, cross-section of fields, some well-known, some less so. Uh, while topics will vary, our discussions will weave them together under the overarching theme of maximizing the value of major investments in strategy execution. I want to give you a flavor of some of the guests that I'll have in upcoming episodes. So next week, I'll be discussing innovation with Vivek Wadwa, internationally known researcher, author, and distinguished fellow at Harvard Law School's Labor and Work Life Program. Vivek has authored a number of books with his latest being From Incremental to Exponential and The Driver in the Driverless Car, which offer global perspectives on innovation and includes the role of AI and related technology advancements. Following week, I'll be speaking to an author and management theorist and futurist, Stephen Heckel, on the adaptive enterprise and what it takes to become a sense and respond organization. And at no time in our history has it been more important for organizations to become more adaptive to change. We'll be discussing management, managing organizations like adaptive systems as a basis for being able to respond to dynamic, increasingly unpredictable business environments. One challenge in setting strategy is how to align customer revenue and cost-driven and cost uh, driven strategies with broader societal and sustainability considerations. Consider the growing popularity of the triple bottom line, which suggests that economic, social, and environmental factors collectively represent the true measure of success. Uh, to that end, I'll be speaking with Walter Stahel, who has been influential in developing the field of sustainability on the circular economy. The focus will 
uh, be on how organizations can align their strategic goals and objectives with the growing need to transition to the circular economy. Uh, the initiative successes and failure rates I cited earlier in this episode are gleaned from, among others, uh, decades of research from Standish Group. So in a subsequent show, I'll be dedicating an episode to examining this research with Jim Johnson, founder of, and chairman of the Standish Group, hoping to gain some insights into mistakes to avoid and best practices to emulate. An important aspect of any strategy is the concept of risk. In order to give risk management its due, I'll be interviewing two experts in enterprise risk management. Sim Siegel, who consults on the topic and is founder of Columbia University's MS program in enterprise risk management, and Jim Gilligan, former CEO of Blue Cross Life and founder of Nexus Risk Management. To ensure that our discussions remain grounded and do not get caught up in theory, I will, I'll be talking to real-world practitioners responsible for uh, executing strategy. To that end, I'll be speaking with two business architects from the financial services industry. They'll share their experiences in leveraging business architecture to advance their corporate strategies. Another area I'll be exploring in an upcoming episode is how organizations define and automate work, particularly as work is increasingly being performed by intelligent systems and robots. The question I plan to raise is simple. Do organizations need to rethink how they define and automate work? To get answers, I'll be interviewing two co-authors of a book titled Mastering the Unpredictable. One aspect that seems to have gotten lost in the endless pursuit of shiny objects is that organizations, large and small, rely on accurate, consistent, high-integrity information. As no time has the criticality of high-integrity information been more important than now, as organizations seek to deploy more and more cognitive technologies where bad or missing information can spell unpredictable, problematic results. So to explore this topic, I'll be speaking with Seth Early, author of AI, The AI-Powered Enterprise, Seth can speak not only to AI adoption, but what exactly happens when AI solutions lack viable information. Given that advancing technology has such a critical impact on organizations' ability to meet their strategic goals and objectives, I plan to dedicate an entire show to advancements in cognitive computing. To delve into this topic, I'll have on two different two guests, uh, Feja Boynandjeris from the IBM Academy of Technologies Leadership Council, along with their frequent collaborator and internationally recognized expert on strategy and globalization, Peter Fingar. And I'll ask them how far they think organizations can take cognitive computing technologies and where they see things in five to 10 years. Future episodes will continue to advance our discussion on strategy execution with a strong emphasis on execution. There are a couple of areas in particular I plan to explore with one being around the questionable assumption that we are doing a great job building new software systems today and the other around what do we do with our existing systems. So on the first topic, I plan to have an author and longtime practitioner uh, to discuss why we may be using 21st century technologies to implement 20th century software designs. I plan to explore the question of whether or not we are simply recreating the same legacy software morass we are stuck in today and if so, how does industry change course and reverse that trend? On many people's least favorite topic of existing software systems, I'll be exploring practical and realistic approaches for transitioning 20th century software portfolios, 21st century architectures. In particular, my guest, expert guests will revisit the shiny object syndrome that appears to have captured the minds of business leaders in recent years, where inexpensive technology migrations can address the business challenges that stem from decades of layering uh, layer after layer of complex technologies on top of each other. Uh, H.L. Mencken once said, for every complex problem, there's an answer that is clear, simple, and wrong. Uh, the quote couldn't be more applicable to legacy systems. I've reserved an episode uh, to discuss how we can prepare business leaders of tomorrow to excel in strategy execution. 
Uh, for that effect, I will be taking to talking to academic leader on uh, the evolution of MBA programs to do just that. Uh, but there will be a course of more episodes. And essentially, what I want to be able to do is to weave together uh, a lot of these different stories and a lot of these different skills and knowledge and disciplines. And, and I think it's really important because people today don't really have a complete end-to-end picture of strategy execution. We know the pieces. Uh, there's, there's skilled people in setting strategy. There are skilled people in doing uh, program work. There's skilled people in doing uh, development work. There's skilled people in doing this business design. But the parts don't always interconnect. So what I want to talk about is not just all these important pieces and where you may be doing things that, frankly, may be ill-advised, but how to bring them together. Right. So, uh, what I want to really say is the strategy execution at most organizations is really fraught with challenges, and they can undercut the best ideas and the best of intentions. And way too often, business leaders who set strategy don't realize that the chain reaction uh, execution of those strategies may send their many rows of dominoes in wildly different directions. Whether it's people, culture, methods, or technology, I plan to cover the topic if it furthers our quest to improve strategy execution. So before we close out today, I wanted to let you know that uh, I've posted a, a all book, article, and other content references, including those statistics I cited previously uh, mentioned in this episode on my website. So if you check out the North Star Radio page tab at tacticalstrategygroup.com, uh, you can find the contents for each of the shows that I'll be doing. So next week, I mentioned earlier, I'm going to have on um, author, researcher, and widely acclaimed Harvard fellow Vivek Wadwa. Um, he's interviewed um, uh, globally on a, on a lot of different types of things. And, and you know, I'll, I'll try to go to the list of few of his awards, but uh, you can always go to the, uh, to the show page and get more information on next week's episode. Um, so it, it's important to just keep in mind, this, we're just starting our journey. Uh, we're going to bring a lot of pieces together. We'll start with innovation and we'll work our way through and, and sort of circle through and make all the pieces to try to fit. Uh, there's going to be a lot more coverage after the topics that I mentioned earlier. And um, I would just remind everybody that we've been talking today about charting a path to your organization's North Star being strategy execution. And uh, if you have any questions or you want to contact me, you can do so by email, LinkedIn, or at my website. Uh, again, you've been listening to the North Star, and I'm your host, William Ulrich. And you can contact me by email, again, or LinkedIn, or at my website. I'm really happy to hear your comments, questions, and thoughts, uh, especially for future shows and future people I'd like to interview. So I want to thank you for joining me today. I'll talk to you all next week, and I look forward to expanding and exploring this conversation down the road. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in this week to the North Star Please join host William Ulrich for another edition of the program next Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time and 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll continue our discussion on strategy execution then. 